All right, so this message is going to be unapologetically directed at men, one of our core commitments. Now, Genesis 1, 27 lays out this manhood and womanhood. These are uh, the, the ontological realities that we live in. So God created man, uh, that word is general for mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Okay, so there's the genesis grounding of reality for men and women, and biology just confirms what the Bible teaches here. Okay, you can't get away from it. It's baked in to reality itself. And often this is how the Bible works. Uh, history and culture move and sway, and this is popular and hot now, and now this is how, could, how dare you believe this 100 years later. And, you know, and, and that's the way culture and history works. What is praised and loved in one generation is anathema in the next. And so we should not be so easily swayed. Rather, we should stay straight with the scriptures because they never fail. If you want to be on the right side of history, ultimate history, you should stick with the scriptures. Okay? They've been around for millennia, and they will be around forever. Okay? The word of the Lord will not perish. It will outlast all human beings and all popular opinions. All right. So men, especially fathers, okay, I, I want you to hear this message today. We certainly have a man crisis in our culture. I mean, I don't think I need to say that, but I'm saying it. We have a man crisis in our culture. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen or heard the news as of recent. Uh, there is... Uh, a quote I took from a Washington Post article that I want to read to you. It's called Young Men, Guns, and the Prefrontal Cortex. No matter where you stand here on uh, the gun debate issue, the Second Amendment issue, uh, this is ontology, what I'm about to read to you. Listen. Of the 196 shooters who killed four or more people in a public place since 1966, only five were women. Only five were women. More than 40% were between the ages of 18 and 29, and another third were between 30 and 45. Did you know that our jails are filled with men? Did you know that most men walk out on their families leaving uh, single mothers and fatherless children. Did you know that it's mostly men that commit violent crimes? Friends, we, again, I don't have to say all this, you know all this, but the point is, we have a man problem, and if we were to, as Christians, biblical Christians, rise up, we could be the example. And that's my call. Friends, let us, who are men, be men. Biblical men. Okay, so let's let's talk about that. This message is going to be very, very clear. It's going to be very applicable. And I have 10 quick aspects of biblical manhood. Okay, 10. I know. Fear not, I'm watching the clock. Fear not. All right. So Romans 12.1 is our jump off. And this is kind of like the overarching emphasis here. Men, what is it to be biblical men? It's for you to live as a sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So in light of the last 11 chapters that I just wrote, Paul says, in light of this gospel message, this good news, you're to live like this, and especially men, you are to sacrifice yourself as worship to God. So that means biblical men sacrifice themselves, especially their selfish desires and wants, and their craving to be served. It is natural and fleshly as a man to want everyone and everything around you to serve you. 
That's what it is to be a sinner. It's just natural. You exist to serve me. In fact, everything exists to serve me. I am the center of the universe, and all reality bends around me. That's fleshly manhood. And that's why the statistics are what I just read. But friends, biblical men are supposed to live the exact opposite. We bring pain to our own personhood and being for the sake of others. That's what a sacrifice is. Your wants and desires die. You see, that's terrible. I don't know if I want to be a biblical man. Friends, the call is high and it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. We as men act like biblical men when we are sacrificing ourselves, our selfish wants and desires for the sake of others. And I know that's hard to hear. And I know that's even harder to live out. But we have the Holy Spirit, the very third person of the Trinity, who will enable us to do this. Now, number two. Biblical men, listen guys, biblical men are more satisfied at a deeper ontological level. You remember ontology is being, the study of being or reality itself. Biblical men are more satisfied at a deeper ontological level by losing their lives for others. So you are more satisfied, according to the Bible, when you're in this place of self-sacrifice. Where in the world would you get that? Matthew 16, 25, the teaching of Jesus. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. You want, you want life and life to the full? You lose your life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, we like to take verses like this and make them ultimate. Like, if I died, I would find life eternal. Yes and amen. But Romans 12.1 says, you're to live in such a way that you are dying. Dying to self, dying to flesh, dying to wants and desires that displease God, and especially ones that hurt others. And here's the paradox. Paradox is a seeming contradiction. The paradox is, though you think this will feel like death and taste like death, Jesus says, you start living like this, and you're going to find life. Jesus himself said in John, I came to give life and life to the full. All right, we like to take that, and that means if I follow Jesus, I get a new Tesla, and I get a $450,000 house, and I get served, served, served. No, that means you get to die for the sake of others and find fulfillment and joy. In losing your life, Jesus says, men, you find it. Now that takes faith. Faith to believe that this is actually true. Now, a living sacrifice, think about this, the Old Testament sacrifices, blood and a lot of it. I mean, these priests, their job is to slit the throats of rams and goats and bulls and giant animals, and literally the blood spills out into basins, which are then used as a sacrifice. That's the image, men, for you and I, if we want to be biblical men. It's bloody. It's painful. It's death to self. But here's the paradox. Again, this is where life is found. In dying for the sake of others. Now, I'm going to make some real, very personal application. Okay? To myself and to all of you out here. Okay? If you are single, how do you live as a living sacrifice? You resist your flesh. You do not give in to desires that displease God, that you know are sin and that you will have to repent of. And if you can't speak them out loud to other people, your actions and thoughts and desires uh, without feeling shame, it's probably not good. And so if you're single in here, then how do I live as a living sacrifice? You, Romans 8, 13, you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh and live by the Spirit. If you're married, men, you are to die for your wife. It's not all about you. 
You know, when my kids were little, uh, we, they still have these posters. It's all about you, and you know, in big block letters, and then you fill in all the stuff about you. Like my favorite ice cream, and my favorite pet, and my favorite color. And some of us have men still have those posters hanging up in our room. Right? It's all about me, baby. Friends, if you're married, you are to die to yourself for the sake of your wife. Fathers, if you have kids, it's not all about you. It's not, your kids are not little servants to serve your wants, needs, and desires. Your job is actually to serve them. Now, we can't go too far as fathers and make our home a child-centric home and not a God-centric home. That's not what I'm arguing for. But listen, if it's all about you and your hobbies and my time and I need a nap and I work hard and get these kids out of my face. Friends, that is not a living sacrifice. That is a selfish man and an unbiblical one. And this is the practical nature of how we can be biblical men. We die to our flesh. We die to our wants and desires for the good and benefit and upbuilding of others. What, so you're saying I can never take a nap? No, I'm not saying that. Naps are a gift of God. What are you saying, I can never go and play basketball on a Saturday morning with my homies? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you have to come to terms with, as a Christian man, life is not all about you. All right? I have to come to terms with this. And here's how you can tell if you think life's all about you. Because you have something planned in your mind for you. It's all about me. And then your kids get in the way, and your wife gets in the way, and other people get in the way, and you're furious. If not furious, you're low-level, frustrated, grumpy. And you know that grumpiness and frustration is a low-level anger. You know that, right? It is. It's a manifestation of anger. This is in my way, this obstacle. That's what your flesh is saying. And sadly, sometimes the obstacle is our kids and our spouse. How terrible. Now listen, I can beat up men. If this, was a, if this was a message to women, it would be much more gentler. I'd be much more kinder. It would sound like a K-Love song. <laughs> Powerful and encouraging and positive. <laughs> listen, men, men love it when we shoot straight. Right? You want me to beat around the bush and give you some flowers, or do you want a straight, guys? Straight, no chaser, right? So <laughs> punch me in the arm, I'll punch you back, and then we'll see who hits harder. <laughs> I love you. Right? And so I'm shooting straight with you just as much as I'm shooting myself, guys. You do realize I am a man who am challenged by this very message. My flesh does not want to love and serve my family. My flesh wants the Chris poster. And lights with like LEDs all around it, blazing. You know, it's all about Chris. No, it's not all about Chris. Chris is the last on the list. You like that? Chris is the last on the list. That's my old hip hop days coming through. <laughs> Again, it's called a sacrifice because it's supposed to hurt. It's a living sacrifice. This is what Romans 12 one says. And again, we, we don't like to meditate on the actual meaning of scripture because that's a little painful. I'm not sure I want to live like this. This is biblical manhood, brothers. And so let me encourage you, okay? Let me encourage you that you dying to flesh in this way will mature you as a man and it will mature you as a Christian. And the more you mature as a man and as a Christian, the more useful you will be to God and the more blessing you will bring to your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, your city. And if we were able to multiply biblical men, which this church aims to do, friends, we could be a force for this city and this country. All right, that's only number two. Number three, ready? Number three. Biblical men are kind. That doesn't sound very manly. Well, look at the Proverbs. A man who is kind benefits himself. Hmm. But a cruel man hurts himself. Now that's interesting. 
Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But look what this proverb says about kindness. A man who is kind does what? Benefits himself. This is like you going to the masseuse, guys. It's you getting a day off. When you're kind, it actually benefits you. But see, manliness in a cultural sense, in some circles, is no, I gotta be rough, I gotta be cruel, no one's stepping to me, how dare you look at me wrong. And manliness is very gruff and aggressive. And this verse says kindness. Now listen, you can be kind with an epic beard, and you can be kind with no facial hair, It's not manly to be aggressive and cruel, and it's not unmanly to be kind, all right? A lot of what I'm gonna point out here, friends, are more character than they are cultural stereotypes, okay? So we can jettison a lot of the cultural stereotypes, and let's drill into what the Bible says about manhood. And so friends, listen, if you were to engage the Holy Spirit, he will produce a fruit in you called kindness. And if you were to live out that fruit, listen, with who? With your wife, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with the people in traffic who you drive with all the time, okay? If you were to live out this fruit of the Spirit, it would actually benefit you. You know the proverb says that uh, uh, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so we, how dare you step to me? And so we're gonna we're gonna blaze with the harshness, and it's like kicking the hornet's nest. And then a week later, we got all these welts on us, and we're wondering what happened. A gentle answer turns away the wrath. You see, when wrath comes our way, we feel like we gotta meet it with at least equal wrath, if not up in the level, and that's manliness. No, no it's not. You can bring down the wrath by being gentle and under the control of the Holy Spirit. By the way, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So don't think being kind or gentle is not manly. Because the Holy Spirit will produce fruit in men that looks kind and gentle. Bruce Waltke, who is a, a proverb scholar, he says this, a kind person denies himself to help his needy neighbor and thereby wins his favor. Paradoxically, remember a seeming contradiction. Paradoxically, however, denying oneself to help others pays off. For in fact, he is the one rewarding himself. Again, the Bible is very paradoxical. It's like, if I live as a sacrifice, that's not going to be good for me. The Bible says, no, you'll find life. This verse says, if you're kind to others, you'll benefit yourself. How do we live out the kindness? Waltke says, Deny self and help needy neighbors and thereby win favor. And you will reap the benefit. Number four, biblical men are humble. Humble. They receive advice and reproof. So a test of your manliness will be what you do with this message. Will you receive advice and reproof, or will you stiff arm it like you were a running back? What are you gonna do? And so here's a verse, here's two. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. I know it needs to happen, I got it all figured out, but a wise man listens to advice. You see, fools have it all under control. They know everything about everything. I know how the world works. I know how to get stuff done. I know what I need. I know what you need. But here, the Proverbs, and remember, this is ancient wisdom, ancient Hebrew wisdom. 
A wise man listens to advice. Listen, you want to be wise? Open yourself up to hear from others and receive the wisdom. Okay, here's another proverb, 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Okay, yes, the Bible offends us sometimes. You idiot, or are you stupid? That's what it's saying. Well, well, who's the stupid one? It's the one who doesn't love discipline and hates reproof. Discipline in the sense of like, not I can do 50 push-ups before 9 a.m. That's not the discipline here. It's discipline like a child screws up and they need their parents to discipline them. It means you're wrong and you receive correction. That's what it means. You receive knowledge of the right way. And friends, listen, the Bible has a lot of reproof and a lot of discipline. We don't come into the world biblically wise or moving in line with a biblical worldview. What is a biblical worldview? It's you view the world through the lens of the Bible and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we seek to live out that instruction, that revealed will of God, that worldview. And so here, men, listen, humble and you receive advice, you receive rebuke. Listen, we, we are kind of told in our culture that it is uh, to your moral imperative, meaning you must do this, it's such a good, that whoever you are on the inside, you are to force that upon everyone else. And if they reject you, and what's going on inside you, and how you think the world should work, or how you think the world should treat you, then they are all wrong, and you are right, and you should just rise above. Friends, this is saying the exact opposite. It's saying you're probably wrong, and the way you think is probably not right, and if you're humble, you'll understand that, and you'll be willing to receive what is the right from the outside. In other words, people can speak into your inner person in a way they say, no, you're wrong, and you say, yeah, you're probably right. Rather than, who do you think you are? How dare you? Okay? Biblical men are humble, and they're willing to receive advice and proof. Okay? Let's move to the next one. Here's here's the CEV uh, translation. I love this. To accept correction is wise. To reject it is stupid. Read that again. To accept correction is wise. To reject it is stupid. Number five. Biblical men are not reactive, but are self-controlled. What what do I mean specifically by reactive here? You know what that means. Something is happening around you, circumstantially, situationally, and you just react to it. You see a negative post online, and you, you know, your, your blood pressure goes up, and you have to react and respond. Someone says something to you sideways, you have to react and respond. You ask somebody to do something, they didn't respond the way you wanted them to, you have to react and respond. That's reactive. You're crossed, I react. Rather, biblical men, you know what they do? They don't react. Rather, they have control of themselves. Oh, interestingly, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, a very manly trait that the Holy Spirit produces in men is that of self-control. Look at this uh, Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He said, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Now listen, often we're reacting out of fear. That's the deal. We, as men, have a lot of fears that we don't want people to see, and so we react because we're afraid. We're afraid of looking stupid, we're afraid of uh, being rejected, we're afraid of being belittled, we're afraid of not being respected, and so we react. But listen, that fear is not from God. Look what it said, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, men. So where's that coming from? 
either your flesh or Satan. Not God. So, so what has God given us, men? Power. Power. Tempered with love and tempered with self-control. Not just raw power, but power mixed with love and self-control. And so, yes, biblical men can be powerful, but that power always has these layers on top of it of love and self-control. Okay? Number six. I'm doing good on time here. This is good. Number six. Biblical men, ready for this one, are not given over to their sinful anger. Now listen, men and women will get angry. But men, this is our dominant emotion. Anger. Anger at our spouse, anger at our kids, anger at what's going on socially, anger at the politicians, anger, anger, anger. And I know all about it. Now I'm going to confess sinful anger uh, to a bunch of people this past week. And I intentionally did. Because you know what? When you confess it and you ask for prayer that God would root it out, it loses power. We don't hide it so no one sees. We put it out there, as I'm doing now, to all of you and to whoever watches subsequently online. Twice this past week I got sinfully angry and had to repent. So I know all about this one. And so if you're Dominant emotion is anger. Men, I'm with you. It's not okay. Just because something exists in your being does not mean you should express it or that it's okay. We have fleshly temptations all the time. And if the logic was, well, it's here, I might as well express it and go all in. Friends, would any of us be married if we just expressed any off desire we had? Okay. So, what what can we look at biblically? Now, listen, we could do a series on anger. Okay, so this is just one little piece of one message. I can't say all that could be said and should be said. But listen to James. James has helped for us. New Testament wisdom. And here's what James says. Know this, my beloved brothers. I love you guys, that's what he's saying. My beloved brothers, listen. Every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now listen, often we reverse that, right? (laughs) We're quick to anger, quick to yell, and I don't want to hear what you have to say. And I will raise my voice so I can't hear what you have to say. Right? So we reverse the wisdom of James and we feel powerful. Why? Because people respond to our anger, right? And if they don't, we'll get more angry and we'll display some some of our manly strength. And maybe they'll listen then. Oh, you're not listening yet? Watch how destructive I can be. And friends, anger is at the root of so many of these shootings So many of of the violent crimes, it's the seed of anger allowed to grow and bear fruit. And friends, the text doesn't say don't get angry. Did you notice that? It says be slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. And so listen, I, I love you. Listen to me, men. If you have a short fuse, and your first instinct is reactive anger, let me be the first to tell you, that is not good. You should not sleep on that. Now, if you haven't had enough sleep, you should sleep on that. (laughs) That could be why you're angry. That's just a practical deal. What I'm saying is you should actively seek God and the help of others to kill that sin. Because that allowed to grow and simmer, or if you like, ferment, will only harm you and other people. It's just waiting to happen. And so my encouragement would be, confess it to 
Other people you trust, have them pray for you, and you pray diligently. This is called the Christian war, man. We fight our sin. We don't say, ah, it's okay. No. The Christian man wars with his own sin. How do we do that? We confess it to God. We confess it to others. We pray about it. We then ask people to pray for us. And when it shows up, we catch it immediately. I did it again. I'm sorry. That was wrong. Please forgive me. I am praying about this. I have others praying about it. And I am seeking to change and be transformed by the Spirit. And so James says, listen. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We are supposed to live righteously. In other words, right in the sight of God. We are to live as men, godly. That means God-like. We're to reflect God. That's why we were created in His image. And so, our anger might produce some immediate results. It might also fracture some relationships. But listen, it's not going to produce the righteousness of God. Okay? Your kids might listen if you base on them and scream at the top of your lungs, but listen, it's not producing righteousness. It's producing fear obedience. Okay? Then in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul says, be angry and don't sin. Now that is helpful. That means the anger can be there, but you don't have to act on it, and you don't have to let it out in a sinful way. Isn't that encouraging? So the anger can show up, and then you can do something about it positively. What can we do? We don't let the sun go down on our anger. Listen, we don't leave it alone. We don't let it sit there. We don't allow it to fester. We don't allow it to go unaddressed. Why? Give no opportunity to the devil. Now listen, whoever is in here that I've done your premarital counseling, you've heard me say this. Yeah, I'm going to say it to all of you. There are very few passages in the Bible where we are told Satan will directly get involved. It's very few. This is one of them. That means pay attention. That means if you let your anger just go and you are, are not dealing with it, you will experience satanic involvement in your life. Read it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold. Listen, you do not want Satan in your life. You might think that might be awesome, and I know that there are countless manly things that, that you know, claim to be uh, devilish because, you know, the devil's hardcore, right? And, and, and if you think I'm joking, man, just, just go online and look a little bit, you know, uh, I don't want to go there. I don't have time. Friends, listen. Keep your doors and windows shut to Satan. If you harbor anger and don't deal with it, it's like Satan stuck his foot in the door when you were closing it at night, and now his foot's in the door, and you can't close it. And he will get in. He'll get into your life, and he, his aim is to kill, steal, and destroy That is his aim. He has no love for you. He has no love for God. He wants no good for you at all. He only wants to kill and destroy. That's all he wants to do. You, your family, your kids, your neighborhood, society, all good things, including God himself, he wants to destroy. And you, friends, made in the image of God, are disgusting to him. Broken as we are, we still reflect the image of God, and he hates it. Friends, if you are married, your marriage is a biblical picture of Christ and the church, and he hates marriage. And he will do everything he can to destroy your marriage. Satan hates godly offspring who will take the truth to the next generation. He will do everything he can to turn our children away from God and to him and to his ways. Why? Because we are a threat to his kingdom, friends. Let's not take the Bible lightly. Let's believe it and let's act on it. So again, biblical men are not given over to their sinful anger. Number seven. We've got five minutes left. This one... 
is a four for one. All right? So it's a seven, but there's four in here, and I'm going to go fast, all right? 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14. Paul closing the letter of 1 Corinthians. Church was a mess. Young, immature believers. He's like, look, be watchful. Number one. Number two, stand firm in the faith. Number three, act like men. Number four, be strong. Number five, let all that you do be done in love. That's five, not four. Okay, let, let's, let's, let's look at it. Be watchful. That means be spiritually awake. D- don't only think on this earthly plane. Because there is a much higher plane of existence and reality. There is an invisible spiritual world happening all around us. And if you don't have spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear, you'll miss what's going on. Especially when the enemy is attacking you. You will think it's just flesh and blood. But remember, Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers over this present evil age. Our struggle is often spiritual, yet we only think about it on this physical human plane. That's an error. You're not thinking biblically or spiritually. So be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. That faith there is Jude 1.3. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. This is the content of Christianity itself. The biblical worldview. Stand firm in it. Don't deviate from it. It doesn't matter how contentious the culture wants to be against what we believe. You stand firm in the faith. Stand firm, Paul says. Act like men. Now listen, this is a call to maturity. The Corinthian church, they were acting like little boys and girls. And Paul is calling out to the men. He says, let's mature. Let's stop acting like boys and let's act like men. So ECC, let's do the same. Let's grow up by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's act like men and mature and let all that we do be done in love interestingly first fruit of the Holy Spirit love now now, now you may have noticed by now I keep referring to the fruit of the Holy Spirit because you know what will happen if the Holy Spirit starts moving powerfully in your life you'll be a biblical man which looks a lot like Christ more than that to come Leon Morris, who is an Australian New Testament scholar, says this, act like men. It's meant to counter the immaturity so manifest in some of the Corinthians. Paul wants them to act like responsible adults. Moreover, they are engaged in desperate strife with the forces of evil. And it is imperative that they play the part of men, that they be strong. They could be made strong by God. The strength of Christians is not something native or inherent in them. They derive it from God, the Holy Spirit. Paul's not urging uh, here, be strong in your own strength. No, he's saying be strong in the strength of the Lord by the Holy Spirit. Jay Adams, the the father of biblical counseling, comments on this verse too. I I found it helpful. When when be courageous here, uh, meaning be strong, another translation is be courageous. He says, Paul words, uh, Paul's words speak of conflict and battles and warfare. In battle, courage is essential. One must not run. Rather, he must be strong in the faith and courageously testify to Jesus Christ. One builds up spiritual strength needed to withstand the enemy. Yet one one word of caution, all must be done in love. Soldiers and warfare conjure up ideas of roughness, inflicting pain, and even death. Not ideas of love. While Christians must exert strength, powerfully defeating sin, they must nevertheless overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. You remember that from a couple weeks ago. The good in view is loving acts of kindness towards enemies. The caution here is what? So what is it? Biblical men are spiritually alert, solid in the Christian faith, 
strong in confidence, character, and loving. Number eight, biblical men intentionally father their children. Now, some of you men are married and you'll have children. But did you know that the Bible has a category for spiritual fathers? Did you know that? Just like it has a category uh, for spiritual mothers. And so we're going to talk about both biological fathers and spiritual fathers here. And God knows our culture is a fatherless culture. Okay? Biblical fathers are needed, both spiritually and biologically. So here's Paul to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Meaning you, you poke at them and you're unreasonable and you're grumpy with them. You, you push at them and poke them until they're angry. Don't do that. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Another translation says fear and admonition of the Lord. In other words, teach them the Bible's way. Teach them the biblical worldview. Teach them to walk in the way of the scriptures and defy all culture, but again, with gentleness and respect. Friends, listen, there is no way you can live out Christianity and not be countercultural. You're just gonna have to come to terms with that. And increasingly so as the years move forward. To be biblical and Christian is to be countercultural. And if you're okay with wearing that badge, you're gonna be okay. But if you wanna fit in and be like everybody else and not receive any persecution and not be standing out, as Peter says, like a stranger or an alien, this Christian thing's not gonna go well for you. You have to come to terms with we are the weirdos. <laughs> and that's all right. It's all right. Maybe you would want to become a weirdo too. Right? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> and then 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 17 says this. So Paul, writing to the Corinthians, listen to spiritual fathers here. Listen, listen. I want to advocate anyone in here who is a man. You don't even have to, to be married because Paul was not married. And yet he had sons in the faith all over the place. He invested his life in other men and they bore fruit. So listen to this. Listen to how he talks to the Corinthians. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Remember, Corinth was a messed up church, all kind of problems. I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So he's calling the Corinthian church his kids. You're my kids. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, you believed by my coming into Corinth, sharing the gospel, and I was the first one there to plant the gospel in Corinth. You believed through my ministry efforts. But then look at 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now there's something there. Fathers, listen, your children will imitate you, good or bad. And I've seen my kids imitate me, and I'm like, that's not good. But what we want is the positive imitation, godly traits, godly examples. Children walk in those. And so here he's saying, be imitators of me. Then look what he says. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Timothy's my son. He's my beloved child in the Lord. To remind you of my ways in Christ. Now, think about that. The way Timothy lives is going to remind you of me. In other words, follow me as I follow Christ. When Timothy's there, it's like I'm there. Why? Because Timothy walks after Paul, who walks after Christ. To remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. And so friends, perhaps you can pour into other younger men. Be a spiritual father as Paul was to so many in the New Testament. Living right firstly, and then being able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Come along with me on this journey. Okay? Biblical men intentionally father their children spiritually. Number nine, biblical men live in peace with others and do not seek out vengeance when wronged. 
Okay? We have this wrong view that you're not going to step on me. You're, you're the guy that flies the don't tread on me flag. Right? You got the t-shirt, you got the flag, and you're like, don't you dare mess with me. Don't try it. Okay? I'm not trying to be political. I'm just trying to paint a picture here. That is not biblical manhood. You saying, come and get some. Come on. What you want? Biblical men live in peace with others and do not seek out vengeance when wrong. Now this was in our text a few weeks ago. Paul says, repay no one evil for evil. Someone does evil to you, you are not to repay them with that same evil or worse evil. Okay? This is not the code of the streets. This is the Bible. Rather, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Your, your job, brother, is to live at peace with everyone as much as it depends on you. Yes, some people do not want to live at peace with you. But if you've done all you could and they still reject peace with you, that's not on you anymore. But if you're the one who refuses to have peace or you're stirring up the hostility, you're not living according to this text. You're not living a living sacrifice. So as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. That means you're wronged and I'm going to make you pay for what you did. Never avenge yourselves. Rather, leave it to the wrath of God. Now, I love that. If you believe that God, one of his traits is wrath, and you believe that he will display that attribute on your behalf, then you can allow people who wronged you to rest in the wrath of God. That's crazy. Like, look, you don't avenge yourself. Just leave it to God's wrath. He'll get them. Yes, that takes faith, but man, is that a scary verse for them. You can quote that in your head. Man, you just ask him for that. And it'll be way worse than what I could do. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, so listen, you, you can live at peace and not avenge yourself. And I'm talking personally here, Okay. I'm not talking military or police or security guards. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not you personally. Okay? Last one. Number 10. Biblical men encourage other men in the faith. Okay, this is not spiritual father to spiritual son. This is spiritual peers. Biblical men encourage other men in the faith. A couple quick verses and we're done. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Friends, we need other men in our lives who believe what we believe and are seeking to fight sin like we're seeking to fight sin. We need to be able to be transparent and open with other men who won't judge us because they're in the fight with us. We need to be able to confess what we've really screwed up and not be afraid that they're going to reject us because chances are they've screwed up worse. We need a, a band of brothers to live out this Christian war with. And we are at war. This is a fight of faith. And we need each other. There is no spiritual heroes who are isolated. It's not Christianity. And so Hebrews 3, 12 to 13 says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. But he just called them brothers, which means that is a danger. You could be a brother one day and all of a sudden you start drifting. And where do you end up with an evil, unbelieving heart, which then leads to what? Leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, that doesn't mean you lost your salvation. It just means you actually never had it, but you thought you did. And evidence and time will prove the genuineness of your profession of faith. And so warnings like this are in the Bible. Yes, to scare you and yes, to keep you in the faith. It's the means of God to keep you persevering. The warnings of scripture bless us and keep us on the right path. Amen. That's why they're there. And so here it's take care, brothers. Like, watch out. For what? That there not be an evil, unbelieving heart that will lead you 
to fall away from the living God. You don't want to fall away from God. Trust me. You don't want that. What's the opposite of that? But exhort one another every day. You're like, that's tiring. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. All right, now here's a simple, real practical challenge. Brothers, each of you got one of these. This is a 365-day devotional. My challenge to you is not only read it every day, but then encourage someone else in this church every day. Not all of them. Like, I'm not saying you text everyone, but you text someone every day. Take a picture of the day. I send it to Eddie. Hey, did you read today? Eddie takes a picture of the day. He sends it to Brent. Brent takes a picture of the day. He sends it to Gino. Gino takes a picture and sends it to Keith and so on. And we encourage one another to stay in the fight of faith. This is called daily strength. Do you think you need daily spiritual strength? You do. Give us this day our daily bread. We don't pray that for food in America, but we certainly need spiritual food. Every single day. So here is a very practical thing. Let's read this book you just got, and let's encourage others to read it. And trust me, this will speak to you. If our overarching theme was offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, then we would be amiss to not highlight the ultimate man who was always full of the Holy Spirit and who didn't just offer himself as a living sacrifice, but offered himself as an actual bloody, painful, substitutionary sacrifice for us. Friends, do you realize that if you're a man in here, you have fallen short of the glory of God? And if the glory of God is the image of Christ, we have fallen way short. And by the way, it is. When Jesus came, he was unstained by sin, and he fully mirrored God to everyone and anyone. He imaged God perfectly, what we failed to do, in Adam and subsequently all his children born after him. And so if anyone did not deserve to get punished, it was Jesus. And yet he steps into our punishment for our failure. And he doesn't just offer his body as a living sacrifice, but a dying sacrifice who actually died. Was buried, but yet victoriously rose again. That we might be forgiven that we might have encouragement, listen, every single day. Friends, do you know that when you fail as a man, you can say, oh God, I failed again. Forgive me, cleanse me of my sin. And at that moment, you are washed afresh. Did you know that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, that he buries our sins in the depths of the sea? Why, how? Jesus, the ultimate man, gave up his life so that we could become men like him. Isn't that beautiful? This is the gospel. Friends, for the biggest screw-up, there is hope. There's hope for me. There's hope for you. And so, though we have, here is the ideal, here is the aim, we will fall far short of that glory. Yet, we don't have to give up. We can keep aiming high and encouraging one another to aim high. And when we fail, we repent, we dust ourselves off, and we keep going. Amen? That's biblical manhood. Yeah, I'm bloody, I'm scuffed up, I'm missing some of my beard, in my case, all of it. But I am still going on this road. I am still in the fight. I'm staggering a little bit, seeing double, I'm still in the fight. By the power of the Holy Spirit. 